The Darkness in Us is a true crime podcast that covers cases containing information not suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Darkness in Us. I'm your host, Hannah, and here I talk about true crime cases from all over the world, getting a closer look at some of the darkest among us. You can expect the use of adult language and sensitive topics that you may find disturbing. Each episode contains trigger warnings, and if you're not able to listen, feel free to skip over that episode and catch the next one. Now let's talk true crime. Hey y'all, I'm back with episode number two on The Darkness in Us. Today we're going to talk about murderer and cannibal Issei Sagawa. And I'll be honest, this was actually episode number one. I posted it and everything, but I just didn't love how it turned out. So I decided I was going to just redo it and (laughs) re-upload it. So hopefully I do it uh, a little more justice this time around. So a couple of trigger warnings for this episode are murder, cannibalism, necrophilia, animal abuse, and mutilation of a corpse. If any of those things are going to be triggering for you at all, just skip over this episode and catch the next one. Issei Sagawa was born on April 26, 1949 in the town of Kobe, Japan. He was born into like a silver spoon, if you will. Um, His family was very well-to-do. His grandfather had been the editor of a successful Japanese newspaper and His dad served as the president of Kurita Water Industries, which was a very large manufacturing company in Japan. However, despite what sounds like a promising life due to the silver spoon he was born into, Sagawa's life wouldn't turn out to be as such. Now, let's go back a little bit and take a look at his childhood. Issei's start in life was rocky from the very beginning, When his mother was pregnant with Issei, she actually fell down a large flight of stairs, which led to Issei being born four months premature and small enough that he could actually fit into the palm of a hand. Doctors didn't think that he would survive, but despite his premature birth, the opinions of the doctors, and his frail body, uh, Issei ended up surviving. His mother, however, became an extremely overprotecting mother because of his small stature and physical limitations, and that caused Issei to be extremely sheltered and just not able to develop how he needed to physically or mentally. This is sad because, you know, anyone would understand a mom doing what she thought was right for her kid, but as we know in, you know, a lot of other cases in true crime, mothers that are extremely overprotective and coddle their children maybe too much, can actually end up doing more harm than good. So all of these things combined start to paint the picture of kind of a rocky beginning for Issei. You know, he's got physical limitations. He's emotionally and mentally underdeveloped. He isn't being exposed to appropriate things that would help him to develop those emotional and mental aspects of who he is. And All of these things just get worse and worse as he gets older. So fast forward two years, um, Issei's younger brother is now born, and Issei and his brother actually have a very close relationship. 
In interviews later in his life, Issei recalls their childhood being some of the best memories that he has. One of those memories, however, is unfortunately where Issei's cannibalistic desires began to sort of come to the surface of Issei's mind. This memory was a role-playing game that Issei's uncle would play with him and his brother. So Issei's uncle would dress up like a monstrous creature that wanted to eat little boys and would actually chase Issei and his brother around the house, capturing them eventually, and then would literally lower them into a pot and pretend to cook them. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a mom, so I don't think that I would necessarily play this with my son. I feel like it's, you know, obviously not the storyline that you should play pretend with with a kid. But, you know, I do have the hindsight that I have. So I want to think that his uncle was just trying to maybe be a fun uncle and wouldn't have played that specific scenario if he had known how it was influencing Issei. Plus, his brother did play the same game and didn't turn out to be a murderous cannibal. So I don't blame the role playing for Issei's actions later in life, but I do think it's very interesting how it affected him. After this, Issei did realize that he kind of started to form like a really strong liking for fairy tales, um, specifically ones where children would be eaten uh, like Hansel and Gretel. So a few years later, Issei is now in first grade, and he's much smaller than all of the other kids around him at the time because he was premature. This combined with some of his like atypical features led to severe body image issues for Issei, but it also led to Issei forming this obsession with bodies that he deemed to be beautiful or perfect, unlike what he thought he was. So this is when his cannibalistic fantasies really become more than just that misunderstood conception of the role-playing game when he was younger. In an interview with Sagawa, he reflects on being in class in first grade and noticing the thigh of one of his classmates. He said that he remembered thinking that it looked, quote, tasty and that he wanted to bite into it. This is just baffling because when you're in first grade, I think you're maybe like six or seven years old. So that's just, you know, very young. And I think about myself, I don't even remember what I was doing in first grade, you know, but it definitely wasn't daydreaming about eating my classmates. (laughs) Um, So I think that just goes to show how deep of an issue there was, you know, with Issei and the cannibalism. So He's now established this fascination with cannibalism, like we've just said, and because he wasn't able to really shake the thought of his classmate's thigh that he had become just so enticed by, he got home and actually experienced his first erection from the thought of the classmate's thigh. Now, unfortunately, sex was not something that was talked about in his household, like, whatsoever, His mom and dad never talked with him or his brother about sex, and so when he got this erection, he actually thought that something was wrong with him. And, you know, obviously he didn't know about erections and therefore really didn't know how to masturbate. And so Issei said in an interview, 
and I am I apologize in advance for even saying this trigger warning um he said in an interview that because he didn't know how to relieve himself properly that he actually got his dog to lick it off so <clears throat> initially you know I felt sad for the child in this situation because there was really nothing that he did wrong, obviously, before the dog part is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, his parents didn't teach him what they should have. You need to talk to your kids. I mean, do it appropriately. Do it in a way that is according to their age. But talk to your kids because, you know, the fucking dog, like, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like despite whatever warped sexual desires he might have had and lack of education, and literally just anything else. You know, pets are just pets, and I feel like you just know that, but I don't know. So, years later, past the fucking traumatic dog incident, and Issei's now 24. He moved away to college and was attending Waco University in Tokyo. Now, I'm probably saying that wrong. It's spelled W-A-K-O, so... I'm just going to say Waco. Um, but while he was there, he found himself infatuated with a tall German woman. Now, previously to this, Issei had kind of become infatuated with Western women, so he said. He said that he liked their pale skin and how tall they were. So when he got to college, he saw this, you know, tall German woman and became obsessed with her. He then found himself attracted to the idea of eating her and decided that he wanted to break into her apartment and slice off a piece of her butt while she slept. He did follow through with this cannibalistic desire for the first time, but thankfully he proved to be unsuccessful because the woman actually woke up from Issei touching his leg to her. He ended up getting arrested for this incident and he was charged with attempted rape um, and this was only because he didn't tell anyone his actual intentions on what he wanted to do when he went there. So everyone just assumed that he was going to rape her, and that's why he was charged with attempted rape. However, the charges were ultimately dropped because, listen to this, his dad paid a settlement to the victim. Why would you do that? <laughs> why the actual fuck would you do that? I mean, from the victim's standpoint, I would probably not want to have to deal with that, like, court issue and having to be around him again and whatever. But, like, from the dad's point of view, that is only doing, like, that's only bad. <laughs> that is only bad because obviously something was going on with his son and he needed help. It may not have meant prison, but he needed help. So, justice wasn't served in that situation for anyone so, without any real repercussions, this would be the first time that he would act on his cannibalistic urges, but sadly not the last, and unfortunately, the next victim would meet a fate much worse. Now, we'll talk about Renee Hartvelt. Renee was born in 1955. She was a Dutch student of literature at Sorbonne University in Paris, and this is actually where she met Issei. There, she was working towards her PhD in French literature, and she was already an established uh, linguist, which, like, we need some finger snaps for Renee because 
that's just impressive. I can barely speak my own language and she's a linguist. She's working towards her PhD in French literature. Like, I need to reevaluate myself. <laughs> While she and Issei had not ever really talked much, he was completely infatuated with her. So much so that he would stare at her anytime she was around him, but he didn't want to get caught, so he ended up drawing pictures of her instead. That way, he could kind of obsess over them after they were no longer around or when he was around her but didn't want to get caught staring at her. Now, at this point, Issei was a lifelong cannibal. He's had urges and desires. He actually, you know, attempted to act on his cannibalistic urges at one point. Um, and unfortunately, he made this decision yet again to give his cannibalistic urges um, another shot, I guess you could say. He said that he didn't want to kill Renee, but that he did want to eat her, and he knew that killing her was the only way to do so, which is just fucked up. <laughs> like, it just, I feel like that's so selfish, and Renee did not have to die. You could have just minded your own fucking business and gotten help, and none of this would have happened, probably, hopefully. So, on June 11th, 1981, Issei Sagawa invited Renee Hartvelt to his apartment under the premise that she would be recording or translating. Um, sources varied on which one exactly it was but that she would either record or translate German poetry for him. She had no idea, though, that this would be her last night alive. As she sat at his desk reading poetry, Issei took out a rifle from a cabinet behind her and shot her in the back of the neck. Some sources do say that he shot her after she denied his sexual advances. Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not, because not every source said it, so, you know, I can't 100% say yeah or no, but it, it does make me happy if that is the case that, you know, at least the last thing she did was reject him because fuck him. <laughs> so after killing her, Issei kept her body in his apartment over the weekend. During this time, he undressed her, he raped her corpse, and began to fulfill his lifelong fantasy of cannibalism. He initially tried to bite into her body, but his teeth were not, quote, sharp enough. So he left his apartment and bought a butcher knife. Um, and that just goes to show that you do not ever know who the fuck you're around. And it's crazy because I think everyone kind of gets, like, just used to everyday life. I do. And, you know, I don't. I'm always kind of mindful of my surroundings and I try to make sure that I know what's going on, but my mind isn't thinking that the person behind me in the checkout line is buying a knife because he's about to go back to his apartment and cut somebody up. You know, you just don't know. So Issei buys the butcher knife and upon his return to the apartment, he does begin to eat her. He started with her butt and eventually moved down her legs. He also sliced off her nose, part of her lips, both breasts, and right hip. After a few days, her body started to decompose and began to smell. 
This is when Issei decided that he would dispose of her body by cutting her body into smaller pieces and putting them into two separate suitcases that he had bought. He then proceeded to dispose of the suitcases, but this actually turned into two separate tries. So for his first attempt, he called a taxi to take him to the dump site that he had had in mind, but this plan failed because when he got to the site, too many people were around and he wasn't comfortable doing it without being caught. For his second attempt, he took them to a park that had a lake uh, near to his apartment. And it's in French, so I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce it, but I'm probably going to make a fool of myself. So I apologize in advance, but it was Bois du Boulange, potentially. And, um... He gets to the lake and, you know, for, despite the fact that he decided not to on his first attempt because people around, he did dump the suitcases at the second location, but people were still around. So I don't know if he was just kind of like ready to get rid of the suitcases or what. So Issei was attempting to push the suitcases down to the lake, but he wasn't strong enough and kind of just pushed them onto the grass. And he was actually spotted by people in the area who ended up looking into the suitcases and unfortunately saw the horror that was inside them. Despite being caught in that moment, um, Issei wasn't arrested until four days later. Police found and arrested him in his apartment, but when doing so, they came across something that they were not expecting. Throughout Issei's apartment, um, they actually found remains of Renee. Some were stored in his refrigerator, and some were, like, on paper plates. In 1983, so two years later, this is after the arrest, um, French doctors decided that Issei had brain damage and was not mentally fit to stand trial, so he was actually placed in an asylum. Now, I didn't see anywhere that the French doctors did any sort of scan on Issei, so I'm not sure how they came up with the brain damage claim. But um, regardless of it, the citizens of France were pissed that their tax dollars were supporting such a heinous man, and so he was actually relocated back to Japan. Once he was back in Japan, Japanese psychiatrists said that he suffered from a personality disorder and not brain damage like French doctors had previously stated. This goes back to, you know, I'm not sure if the French doctors thought that because he did that, he had to have brain damage, or if they actually scanned him, or what. But he was put into another um, institution. He was hospitalized um, in Japan. But only three years after, due to a loophole, he was able to check himself out of the hospital on August 12th, 1986. This piece of shit never spent a day in prison for his crimes, nor did he get the help that he needed at the hospital either. So it's just such a lose-lose like situation, you know, because I don't necessarily think that he needed to be in prison, um, at least maybe not initially, like maybe if they transferred him later, I don't know. Um, I do absolutely think that he needed some mental help, though, and, you know, he didn't really get it, so it's just, you know, senseless. Renee lost her life, and there was no justice for it, and 
he's a free man. So what is really fucked up about this case outside of everything I've already stated was after the fact that, you know, Issei walked free, which is already a slap in the face, he became famous in Japan. He had been invited to be a guest speaker. He appeared in several documentaries. He made a fucking porno, which, like, come on, dude. Um, He appeared in a short film. He had written several books about the murder. Like, who the fuck? Who published that? Um, Oh, this is just so infuriating. Um... And he wrote reviews for restaurants, which was supposed to kind of be, like, ironic because he was a cannibal. And that is just fucked up. Like, it all makes me want to vomit. I think so much about Renee's family. And although they didn't live in Japan, like, they had to know, you know. But despite his little bit of fame, um, it didn't last, thankfully. And one source stated that, since that little bit of fame had kind of died off, he struggled to find employment. Um, he was rejected by a French language school that he applied to, which, again, just baffling. And he has a permanently damaged nerve system due to a cerebral infarction, making it so that he requires daily care, which is usually provided either by his brother or caregivers. So that is the short but crazy case of Issei Sagawa, who was also known as the Kobe Cannibal. Um, My final thoughts on everything are just like disgusted and sad and, you know, it's just, it's so, so much injustice um, all around. I think that Renee was robbed of life very heinously, but I do think that Issei didn't get the mental help he needed. And, you know, there were just obviously deep psychological issues. And not to say had he gotten help, things would have been different, but they could have been. I mean, they very well could have been. So let me know what you think. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Darkness and Us podcast. I post about each case on there as they come out. And I look forward to talking with you on the next one. Bye.